Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and that music that played me in is called, well, that song that played me in is entitled Toontown. It is from the album Boat Songs, and it is by M.J. Lenderman, and that is out on Dear Life Records. All links to M.J. Lenderman are in the show notes, so you can buy this album. And I'll tell you this right fucking now. I'm obsessed with this album. It is probably... So far, my favorite album to come out this year, and it's like one of those albums where like I get obsessed with one song, so I play that song all the time, and then I move on to another song, and I get obsessed with that, and I play that all the time, and then I go back to the previous song. Um, it's a great album. All of his music is great. Uh, his band camp is in the show notes. He's also a member of Wednesday, and I had Carly on here last year when the Wednesday album came out, um, so he's like he's just a force. He's a part of Wednesday, which is great. He's a part of his thing, which is great. They're all great. And uh, so please do yourself a favor. Buy this album. Check it out. Listen to it. Become obsessed like I am. And this is a really great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with uh, with MJ. And I wanted to have him on. I had Carly on to talk about Wednesday and all that stuff and their world. And then we, uh, and she was like, you should have MJ on. And I intended to ask him because I went and checked out his music immediately and well here he is he's on the show now uh I have you know I've been dicking around the last few months about thinking about changing the name of the podcast and blah 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 and I've fucked around with it in different intros I think I'm just going to keep it as is conversations with Dwyer that's what it is I'm not going to change it. Um, also in the show notes, though, by the way, if you want to watch the video of MJ and I talking and there's some extra content, that is on my Patreon. You can go to themathwire.com. You can become a Patreon subscriber. Most of my episodes have part twos. You, sometimes I go two hours, an hour and a half. This one, when I, you know, I don't I let it be organic. We talk. It ends when it ends. It f- try to make it feel natural. Uh most often, I think people like talking to me, so there's extra content. And uh, you can go become a Patreon subscriber. Five bucks a month gets you blogs, extra content, video, early releases, all that stuff. All that stuff. And if you can't, you know, support the show in that manner financially, you can just tell a friend about it. If you like my podcast, just tell a friend about it. And say, hey, this fucking dork likes to talk to cool people. <laughs> Um, that would mean a lot. And speaking of websites, if you need a website, kellyrdewire.com, my partner in life, made my website, does a lot of big podcasts, politicians, you name it, she does it. Get a website, kellyrdewire.com. Um, and another thing that I'm, uh, something I've been very passionate about lately, <laughs> this is so silly to say, climate crisis, something you shouldn't be passionate about. It's Dwyer, it, you're, the world is ending. Um, but I've been putting a lot of my focus and energy and learning about and becoming more knowledgeable about the climate crisis. And we really, um, we don't have time to fuck around, man. We've got about three to five years. And I think that's conservative to get to a point where we have zero carbon emissions. Um, I have kids my life, I don't know. I've been a fucking idiot. I'm worried about my kids, your kids, your future kids, your dog. Uh, so if you can donate to the climate 
Climate Emergency Fund. I'm doing a lot of work with them. Some things I'm going to announce in the near future that I'm really doing with them that you're going to dig. Um, so become donate to that. And uh, one other really important thing before I get into the conversation with MJ Lenderman, and we talk about this a little bit in the episode, is I want to... I talk about... I lost a my dog, Charlie. And if you've listened to the podcast since the early, early days, you've probably heard Charlie bark. Um, I used to have to record episodes sometimes in my bathroom when I was living in a studio in Glendale, California, because Charlie would just sit there and bark at me because he didn't like me talking on the phone or into the microphone. So many of my early episodes recorded while I sat on a toilet (laughs) because of my sweet dog, Charlie. But if you've ever had a pet. I don't think people understand if you if you don't have a pet and you lose one. It is I honestly I cried more than when I lost um than friends. Charlie was with me every day for almost 14 years and he lo- taught me a lot. I don't think I'd have been able to end up in a relationship or have a, become a dad if I didn't have my dog Charlie to make me aware of a lot of my flaws. Dogs can show you who you really are and show some unpleasant things about yourself and some great things. And I called my dog my little monk because I found I got a dog. I was alone and trying to not be a raging alcoholic. And, <laughs> and he was like this great companion who taught me how to be a better person, how to love more, and how to be loved, quite frankly. If you don't have a dog or a pet, think about getting one. And it's the best thing I've ever done. It changed my fucking life. And I just want to dedicate this episode to Charlie because I think a lot of the reasons I'm talking into this microphone is because of Charlie, that I'm alive, to be quite frank. So, Charlie, Charlie Bear, this episode's for you. Now, please enjoy my conversation with MJ Lenderman. I I just got a ton of mosquito bites. Oh, that's so. Who knows what's looked, in there? Yeah, we thought that was. Uh, it looked like chicken pox. It was pretty bad. I was just in Italy oh. with my family, and uh, they had like no screens on their windows, and I was like, well. That must be because they don't have mosquitoes. So I left, <laughs> <laughs> left it open all night. <clears throat> we used to not have them in Los Angeles, and now we have them like it's the Midwest. It's fucking brutal. Damn. You guys have the murder hornets? We have. I don't. Not that I know of. I I heard they were in California. This know. was about a year ago. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I thought they were supposed to be making their way over here. I don't. I wonder how much of that stuff gets like. Because when I was a kid, killer bees were a thing, but like it never actually happened. But everyone was like, "Oh no, killer bees!" And I don't recall anybody getting killed. Oh yeah, do you think they're related to the murder hornets? <laughs> <laughs> they're like rival gangs. It's like the outlaws and the and the hell's angels. <laughs> yeah, or it's like the the X Men version of uh, the killer bees. They, yeah, they're in. The, what's that place? In X-Men. Oh, I, I don't know. I'm not X-Men savvy. Well, they do all the mutations. I know, like, a little bit about it, but I'm not, like, I'm not... 
not a Marvel. Is that, I don't even know if that's Marvel or DC. I could have insulted some people. That would that would be Marvel. <laughs> I'm not I'm not huge into it either, but I'm just thinking that uh, the murder hornets could be like the you know how when Wolverine gets like crazy bones, <laughs> whatever, he, like his super strong bones. Uh, right. the murder hornets are just bigger. Yeah. That's it. I'm sure I've seen videos of the murder hornets. It's pretty fucking terrifying. Yeah. I've seen these things around here. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. And there are these, these things that look just like hornets. They're like this big and, uh, really scary, but apparently they're just flies. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're t- we're talking about leaving Los Angeles, and I want to go. I would do New Orleans, but my wife is like the fucking bugs. Like, no way, the bugs. And I'm like, Ooh. and my daughters would fucking. They already can't take a housefly, so like a You're fucking. Like you got you got to worry more about uh, maybe natural disasters. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly why we're leaving California. It's like we're yeah we don't, we're not gonna have water. And Damn. I don't know. Yeah, New Orleans is great though. I love I love it there. We just um played there for the first time. That could have been where we got COVID. Yeah, they're a little like, loosey goose there from what I get. How was I always thought that was interesting because New Orleans is such a music town. To play New Orleans as an outsider band, if it feels is it in, like does that feel weird or I like I don't know like to me I would be intimidated but I'm a I'm psychologically damaged. <laughs> we um we were kind of like we played at this little it was like a little dive bar and it was the whole band the whole bill was like indie bands so and like we weren't we weren't really close to like Bourbon Street or uh, wherever they do like all the jazz and there's music like every single um every single bar and whatever like we were kind of a little outside of that and uh so it didn't it didn't feel that that crazy it was it was it was fun it was there's good uh energy there people people trying to party yeah it's uh i would it's i i would i went there once for i did a show at tulane and i was like if i didn't have a my girlfriend back home, who's now my, my official girlfriend for life. <laughs> I would have, I would have stayed. I would have just abandoned my shit and stayed. I was that enamored with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's really fun. Um, the, the last time we went there, um, I was there with Wednesday. <clears throat> we, we were doing some, some photos and, uh, it was like 90 degrees when after the sun went down, <laughs> and, uh, so so humid. It was good though; it's a fun time. Did oh so you when you played there last, you weren't with Wednesday. You were with somebody else. Uh, I was with both uh, my band and uh, Wednesday because we did the whole tour out. That was on our way to South by, and we did that whole thing together. So you, in essence, sort of opened for your own band. Kind of, yeah. Is that? I mean, I, I'm lazy and old, but that. <laughs> uh, so, what are you on stage for? Like two, three hours a night? 
doing that? Um, so the MJ sets were probably 35, 40 minutes. And then the Wednesday ones would be like 50 tops. So it'd be like almost two hours um, with a little break in between and shuffling around some some amplifiers. <laughs> Uh, do you ever like yeah. rub it and like I'm gonna blow you out of the water Wednesday? Do you like it, try to intimidate <laughs> them? <laughs> no, that would that would make me look bad just later. Uh, but no, it's it's not like that. Um, it was kind of funny. Like I don't know if I love doing that because the whole time I'm doing my set kind of in the back of my head thinking about the next set um, with Wednesday. But, I mean, it was very convenient, made a ton of sense, and it was, it was of course, fun. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I had seven people in my van. <laughs> and so uh, three of us were our in Wednesday, and then the other four, we had to bring a new van. And so I'm realizing I'm about to go on tour again that uh, I'm going to need, if I want to do that, I need two vans to take the whole band, my whole seven piece. And so that's just not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> because we had the van for Wednesday already. And that's about six people, five people can stay in there. And, uh, anyways, that's, that's the, that's the logistical stuff you got to worry about. It's kind of, are you at all kind of, I, I would it's like the, from Wednesday to now your album, which is, would you say that's been kind of a whirlwind? Cause you got, and I don't like to give pitchfork, uh, attention cause I fucking hate them, but still, <laughs> And you could, you don't have to say your opinion, but I know getting an 8.5, I think it was 8.5, 8.4. Three. I'm going to, okay. 8.5. Don't say I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was about an 8.5. It's an 8.5 in my opinion. That's why I hate, <laughs> that's why I don't like Pitchfork. They don't know their, their <laughs> points, but yeah. I mean, that's a pretty, a lot of, you know, success pretty quick and attention. How does that feel? Um, it's cool. I try to, to, uh, remove myself from it as much as possible. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it was kind of easier to do that when, uh, when boat songs came out because I was on tour for, um, for like a month with Wednesday at the time. And so when the, like the best new music thing came in, I wasn't like, I was in Kansas. That um, always keep you humble. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I, but it was just like, I don't know. There's not much I can do with that information. And uh, it's, it's good. It's good to recognize um, and, and probably just move on. But it is, it is crazy how much is happening. And uh, this, this upcoming year is going to be insane. Um, but yeah, it's kind of no way to prepare for, uh, this kind of stuff. 
<laughs> when you say this upcoming year is going to be crazy, can can you elaborate on that? Is yeah, it- mostly with I'm looking at my schedule and I'm going to basically be touring between the two bands I'm in um, through December. Um, with like maybe I'll be home for like maybe two weeks at a time within the in between um sometimes a lot less than that uh and then there's like uh label interest for the future and stuff and so like there'll be uh some meetings <laughs> some, some, <laughs> some dinners fucking order the most expensive thing make them fucks yeah. pay yeah uh that's i i don't know it's interesting because like now where we sit we're able to see all the bands that have gone through that and know the fucking bullshit have you like i read the book sellout which is all about like all the major the last fucking fling of the major labels like throwing major money and it's like now we can look at it but it's like it's interesting because a lot of these bands knew what they were in for and they still were like went for it <laughs> went for it and got fucked over and i'm like i don't know do you keep that in mind going into this like the 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 weird that can happen yeah i'm definitely cautious i've seen i've seen my share of uh rock docs <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh i like to read um biographies <laughs> of musicians and stuff but there i'm like no not talking to uh to majors or anything like that um it's just um indie indie labels and stuff and but yeah there's there's like once i think once money gets involved uh it becomes a little like what like you become more of a, a product um rather than just making music because like a label is interested because they can assume that you're going to make that money back for them, whatever they give you. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to like not get too worried about thinking about money um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> um, it does. But I mean, you seem from, uh, I've known of your music for a while and, and whatnot, and you seem very more focused on being like an artist and a songwriter, which by the way, you're really fucking good at. Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess that's, that's the goal. Uh, and, um, uh, but yeah, a lot of the future. If I like, end up working with with a, a you know like a step up to another label, it'll be the same thing. It's like um, making sure from the start that that's that's understood. I think that. Uh, like these, these sorts of things. And that's, that's something you can do. I'm learning. Like you don't, 
like there's no one way to uh to be an artist and be on a label like I guess ultimately I have the control to say like this is what I want and uh if if you're not going to work with me on that then we don't have to work together or something <laughs> um but yeah the I don't hear too much about like major labels so much anymore. I, I am a big fan of um, Sparkle Horse. Yeah, I wanted to. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to. I, I'm with you on Sparkle Horse. <laughs> yeah, and like it's learning about um, him in like the '90s, where like Capital started signing underground bands and stuff, and they signed him. That's just so hard to believe that that could happen. Like, like somebody like Capital would sign such a weird musician, and I think he obviously deserves it. But uh, they later just dropped him. And same with like Vic Chestnut, he signed to a major, and uh, all all sorts of bands. They were they were going crazy with that in yeah. the nineties. <clears throat> yeah, because Capital signed to Jesus Lizard too. But th- the difference between somebody like Jesus Lizard and <laughs> Sparkle Horse and Vic Chestnut is those guys are more like songwriters. And I think that their reach and their sort of, there's a long haul with those guys where Jesus Lizard is very like, <clears throat> we sound like this, we'll always sound like this. It's like you listen to Sparkle Horse and it's, you definitely see a guy who's like gone through various incarnations. Yeah. What, what, like I, cause I'm so, cause I read about you being influenced by him or appreciating him. And I was like, I feel like I was just blown away by that fucking guy when I heard him. And I was just, and I'm like, I still feel like he doesn't get the proper respect. Like, I feel he's still kind of vague and I'm like, this isn't right. Like, yeah, um, (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Uh, He, it took me a minute to get to get into him. Um, I was uh, I had a friend who really was pushing him on me for for like at least a year, and eventually I I watched this. Uh, there's like a German documentary on YouTube. You can find the whole thing, and they just go around his uh, his property where he recorded like viva dixie and that stuff and he's just kind of working on like he's working on his tractor (laughs) and like he's super soft-spoken just like i had no idea he was like southern like i wouldn't have expected that from his music where's he from is he from your neck i think he's from west virginia or virginia he ended up living at the end of his life he was living about an hour away from here, which I just learned. Um, but yeah, pretty close to here generally. Um, but yeah, he's just like riding motorcycles, just lives on this like farm kind of thing and records at home. Um, but yeah, then I, I got really into Viva Dixie submarine, uh, and, but yeah, I go ahead. Oh, I just I also <laughs> heard that you were in like you or the line was that you drew inspiration from Harry Cruz, which is 
I don't, uh, I don't hear his name, Harry Cruz's name tossed out around much. So I'm always happy that anybody fucking knows who he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, it's hard to say how, I guess, but the amount that I was reading him, um, when I was writing like my last two albums, those, I wrote those two, like the ghost of your guitar solo and both songs. I wrote them at the same time. And, um, but got super deep into Harry Cruz. Um, and, uh, one of the, one of the main things I was reading that was helping me, uh, like stay inspired and like, um, maybe disciplined with writing is he's this one book of his, well, it's not really his book. It's this other guy organized like interviews from his entire career. And it's his like philosophy on writing and practice and uh, what fiction is and what art is and these kind of things. And uh, so I really, really, that, that book was important to me, but I've read all of his, I think all of his novels, maybe minus a couple of them. His memoirs, it, his, what is that? A child's a life? Childhood. 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 It's it just when that opens, the opening of that book, I was just like, what the fuck world? <laughs> like, it's just like, no one's ever started a memoir in that, in the past, but in, for, in, in present, in first person. Like, I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. That, that one's incredible. That, I think that was the first, first book of his I read. No, actually I read the knockout artist first. Speaking of new Orleans. <laughs> I mean, do you know that one? I don't. It's about a guy who, um, he was a boxer and, uh, he gets, he, it looked like he was having, he had a promising career, but, uh, he had a glass jaw. I don't know. I don't know what that, what that means. I think it's like a boxing term. Yeah. Couldn't tell if it was literal. like, basically he got knocked out really bad one time and then uh, his career was over. But the book starts after this and he figured out at some point that he can, he can punch himself in the face and knock himself out. And uh, all these super rich people will hire him at these like crazy kinky parties <laughs> and, and pay him pay him money to do this in front of them. <laughs> Fuck. Why isn't this a movie? I mean, cause we have to make yeah. everything a movie. Yeah. It can't just be a book. It's gotta be a movie, <laughs> but it, it sounds, sounds like, like they tried to make a lot of these books into movies, but I don't know why I saw never a happened. clip of him on the Dennis Miller show, which I think is like late eighties, early nineties. And Dennis Miller sucks, and he's a right-wing piece of shit, but that's besides the point. But he's, Harry Cruz is so fucking out there, like, Miller doesn't know what to do with him. Like, it's fascinating. Even, like, this smart-ass yeah. comic is just, like, totally perplexed by this guy's pure genius, and I think he has a mohawk. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the, uh, one of the, my favorite things about him is that he's, like, self-taught. And, uh, that, that's always like inspiring to me. Um, 
but yeah, it's super weird. Like very, um, like reading his interviews, just the way he speaks is so articulate and, uh, precise and like rhythmic and artful. <laughs> yeah. I like dudes like that. There's a number of writers who, they, they, they won't fit into that sort of, cause I mean, in the end, like the literary scene is very collegiate and fucking crusty uptight bullshit and guys like that. That's like, they're not welcome. And for them, yeah, to well, be- <laughs> the other crazy, he was, a he taught at uh, Florida for a long time in Gainesville. Um, which was he didn't even get accepted into that program as a student, but later on somehow got an honorary degree and uh, was like a literature professor. It just goes to show you it's all fucking horseshit. Like it's literally it's horseshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. Like, yeah, I just read this book about Duke Ellington and it's like, he studied and stuff, but it's like it just he never fit into the fucking classical sense of what a composer is. So people are like, no. And it's like, look who in the long haul won that one, fuckers. <laughs> yeah. Usually I think if yeah. you're that, people are responding that strongly against you, you're probably headed in the right direction. Yeah. Are you I, st- yeah, I struggled with school for sure. <laughs> I like, <laughs> I just like, yeah, it's comes down like for these guys are good examples, like just to how much you, you care about something and how much you are willing to learn. But I like my problem with school is always um, like the, uh, the, the timing of it, like, uh, the curriculum stuff. I don't know. I've, I feel like I've learned a lot more on my own since I've been in school and like not just memorizing things. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a problem with our entire education. I mean, I was the same way. I was like, I love to read. I'll learn shit left and right, but school and like pop quizzes, I'm like, my brain isn't going to respond. My brain is just kind of like, yeah, f- good fuck off. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Was music self-taught for you too? Um, not totally. Uh, I have, I started playing guitar. I was taking lessons starting around the time I was seven. And uh, I took lessons up, up until I was like 13 or 14. But it, this whole time I was... I taught myself how to play drums. Um, and then also this, the songwriting stuff and writing is self-taught. And then I ended up, I, I went to college for three semesters and I was, I went for music tech, like audio engineering. And um, <clears throat> so I had to take a bunch of music theory there. And so I've retained some of that, um, <laughs> but it's, that's, it's, it's cool to know. Um, but it doesn't, it's not necessary. Uh, it's, it's just a tool, I guess. 
it's the best way I've heard it explained. Like you can use it like you can use anything, but uh, it's not something you have to know. What is, how do you go about writing? Is it just sort of like follow your intuition type of situation? Um, yeah, there's, I, I don't really have any single way of doing it. Um, I'll, uh, try to try to get in the habit of writing words down every day, some capacity. Um, and then eventually, uh, looking back over them and maybe finding something that stands out. And, uh, and then I'll be like, you know, spend spending time watching TV and playing guitar. Uh, maybe I'll, have a chord progression and then put them together <laughs> <laughs> with the words from earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And then like eventually it'll, I'll start uh, like organizing it with the uh, lyrics and the music at the same time. Do you but have... it's, it's hard to say like any specific way. I was just wondering if like, it's just sort of, do you, is the concept of the song exist or is it sort of all fall together and you find the meaning sort of as, I don't know, as you go? Um, that's, that's generally how it works. The, the second one, um, there are a few examples where I've maybe thought about like what, uh, what this concept's going to be, but generally I don't. And, um, usually, I won't know about what it's about till later. Um, yeah, that that's like, it's a little like too heady for me. I guess like to think about like concept, um, these kind of things. I think maybe more, um, What's the word? Uh, I don't know, like some like tonal, like like uh, some sort of tone <laughs> that that I get from uh, maybe a certain line that I want to organize the song around. Um, but I, yeah, I try not to think too too hard. That seems to be the like. I know that sounds corny from me. But it's like the more you think, the more you're fucked. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, there's a Neil Young motto. He says, "The more you think, the more you stink." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Lurie talks about that on his show about painting and like the two voices that you have in your head while you're creating, and the one you, the oh. first one, you like, you're like, "Oh, dude, put put a bird there," and he's, and then the other voice comes in and says, "Hey, no, what do you, what do you fucking do that for?" And he's like, "Yeah, you have to listen to that first one, no matter how much you I know. argue." Yeah, definitely. I, I struggle with that. Um, but every, anytime I've succeeded at anything was somehow being able to get rid of the second voice. That, uh, painting with John, is it painting with John? Is that what it's called? Yeah. I haven't watched much of that. I like fishing with John. I watched the one with Tom Waits recently. That is so funny. He's, he gets so mad on the boat. 
<laughs> it's funny because what I noticed too is Waits is like his whole persona is like you know he's got so many songs about like being sailors on shore leave and blah 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 and he's fucking seasick. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like hmm, maybe we maybe we aren't fully the Tom Waits we thought we were. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a big Tom Waits fan, but I was like, hmm, that doesn't fit character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's the beauty of uh, fiction. <laughs> Lurie's biography, by the way, is also incredible. <laughs> if you Ooh, get yeah. a chance to read that. And it's also, it's just, because the dude is, the creative journey of that guy is just like, fuck off. Like, oh, you're a brilliant actor, but you don't care. And you're like, like it was the last thing he wanted to do. It just this thing he kept stumbling into. Meanwhile, and a brilliant musician. It's just like I I struggle to be competent at one thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's because he uh, listens to that first voice. I think you're right. That's probably what it is. I've That's, got... It's easier said than done. Yeah. I got a, I got a lot of voices in my head. Do you do anything mm-hmm. to sort of keep those at bay? Um, Besides the hard drugs. I know you're really yeah, into hard drugs. drugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there are things that I could do and that I have done. Um, I kind of, I haven't been writing in a minute because I've been so busy. Um, touring and everything but like I'll play basketball or go on walks uh, little things like that it's some other thing that I realize is way harder than it seems like uh, for me or like maybe just people in general now is like at one point I realized I was like I should, I should try to do nothing for, for five minutes. Like, no, don't look at anything like no, no, uh, computer or phone or book or any sort of stimulation. Just like sit and, uh, look at, uh, like the front yard or something. And that's pretty helpful. Um, cause I realize how much, uh, like, I'm always looking at something like trying to to pass time. Even when I'm like doing nothing, that usually means I'm watching TV (laughs) or which is like constant uh, information. Yeah. Basketball and walking, that's like forms of meditation. I try to Mm -hmm. meditate every day. And I have dogs, so I have to walk those motherfuckers. Or one, one just died. <laughs> oh, sorry to hear that. Uh, it was brutal, man. Like that whole, they're a part of your family. I, I had the guy for 14 years and it was just like, it was brutal. Mm. I've cried less for human friends than I did for my, my child. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. We lost our family dogs last year. Um, yeah, that was... It's weird it's going over to my parents' house now. Like, I still expect her, like, sitting around there. Yeah, I think... But, uh, 
it's people i think i don't know people who don't have pets i don't think get it and they're just like yeah fucking dog yeah put it to sleep like that's what my dad would say like yeah just put it to sleep and i'm like i mean he was a heartless fucking prick anyway (laughs) 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 but aside from that like it's just like how it's like an animal that you've lived with like how can you just dismiss its entire existence because you're Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i'm i'm learning that too kind of like i always i grew up with with a dog at home. Um, obviously she was special, but like to friends, pets and stuff, I didn't really care. Uh, just never saw myself as an animal person, but me and Carly got a cat like a little over a year ago. And that's, that's changed how I look at things for sure. Yeah. My dog taught me, I mean, I was like a, loner fucking weirdo and then having somebody something somebody yeah somebody but like to take care of or somebody that kept me accountable for my emotional state because if i got angry at a doorknob which i would be known to do (laughs) like he would the dog would flip out about it like he would get scared and i'm like oh i have to like keep myself in line and it taught me to like not be such a self-absorbed fuckhead Mm -hmm. for and i don't think like i could have I never had a successful relationship until after I got had a dog and was like learned a few things about myself. I don't know if that sounds fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, I thought a lot of people would agree with the, with you on that. Yeah. Um. Oh, I was. That's what. I, does it drive you like when you're on the road so much? Does it is the wanting to write songs? Is that sort of nagging at your brain? Like you're like fuck, I'm not writing. Um. I think I probably feel that more when I'm at home and I'm not <laughs> doing it. And uh, because when I'm on the road, I'm like, I have a good excuse. <laughs> I do. Uh, sometimes it's, it's nice. Like uh, I wrote all the, like, like the last two albums, like pretty much immediate. I had been on a tour with another band for like a whole month and we got home at the very beginning of COVID and I, um, I like after not thinking about writing, came home and wrote a ton. And, uh, so the road can probably help with that. Um, cause you see a lot of the stuff and, um, Yeah. Does do this like when you take songs out on the road? Do you find them evolving at all, or do you keep it? Do you keep them the same? Because I was just like, if I, I used to do stand up, so if I'd go on the road, I'd, shit would constantly change. I don't, I don't know. Do you, or is do your people listening to you expect you to keep it the way it is? Um. No, that's. I like to leave a little bit of wiggle room. And, and everything to uh, to not say so we could play it like you know like the structure is always the same the, the chords are the same but like you know the lead guitar player gets to mess around and not play the same lead lines every night and I'll try to try to include a couple of like jammier sections um so just to keep it fresh and I don't really write set lists 
Um, so we'll uh, try to not play the same set twice. Um, these kinds of things keep it interesting. Uh, like usually I've gone out on the road with where the songs are already recorded. And so there's not much I can do to like change like the lyrics or let it evolve too much, but it, we don't really sound quite the same live as on recording. Who, when you said you were learning, like you pretty much taught songwriting to, or learned it yourself other than uh, who, who were the sort of the major songwriters that, I don't know that you looked to. Um, probably first. Um, like I was trying and, um, like throughout high school, like I I probably wrote my first song when I was like, uh, 14, maybe I was really deep into the smashing pumpkins a lot of those songs were just like ripoffs of their songs. <laughs> That's how you and, learn. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, uh, but yeah, as I got older, I got into like Neil Young and Jason Molina, and uh, more recently, like in the past four years, David Berman. I learned a lot about songwriting from him, as he was way more lyrically focused than anybody else I'd been into up until then. And so like studying his lyrics and seeing what, what he was doing that, that helped a lot. You're a great lyricist, by the way, if I didn't, like I, <laughs> Thank I, I noticed lyrics. I, for some reason, I don't think a lot of people do, which I always think is fucking weird. Cause it's, to me, it's, I don't know. And then some people like you hear some songwriters are like, Oh, it's an afterthought. And I just throw them in there. And I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Jay Maskus is that way. He, he's like, I only write lyrics. Cause, uh, it's just like, I have to. And, uh, he's kind of underrated. Some of his lyrics are pretty good, uh, in this really weird way. Like nobody else sounds like him, but, but he's one person who, He's like, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> he should do an instrumental album, or maybe he has. I don't know. But. I think he has. There's this band, Heavy Blanket. I don't know. Like, it's it's speculated that he's he's. It's just him doing all three instruments, bass, drums, and guitar. I'm gonna have to. And um, but in their bio, it's like <laughs> it's like these two other guys that he used to know in high school. One of them just got out of prison. The other one has like, <laughs> brain damage. But it really just sounds like, like I've heard him play drums. Sounds like him on drums. It's sounds probably, like him on. It sounds like bullshit. Have you heard the yeah. Marvin Pontiac stuff by John Lurie? Kind of a similar weird. Oh, that's him? Yeah, Marvin Pontiac's John Lurie. I've only heard one song of theirs. That I totally forgot about that, but... um. My, uh, one of my bandmates, this, uh, we were about to leave for a tour and it was like five in the morning. We had to drive 
to, I think, Columbus, Ohio from here. And uh, my guitar player shows up. He's like, well, I just heard this crazy song on Asheville FM. And uh, it was a Marvin Pontiac song. Do you remember? I haven't thought about it since. What song that is? Uh, shit. It doesn't matter. His second, he has two albums. He only has, and the only reason he created the Marvin Pontiac thing is because he didn't feel comfortable singing, so he didn't want people to think it was him. Uh huh. But there's a second album that they released solely for Bandcamp. I think it's like a best of, but it's not really a best of. And it's really, I mean, they're both great, but that's my more favored. But he, the whole concept is like, also, it's like, it's a, a guy who was in an insane asylum and somebody gave him a four track recording and this is what came out of it. That's the whole concept of his, that's why I thought of that and the Jay Maskus thing. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I'll, I'll check that out. Um, yeah. well, we were talking about lyrics. I, I derailed. This. No, I think I derailed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But Berman, Berman, I, which I always find interesting because Berman and Silver Juice was also, uh, what's his name? Pavement guy, Malcolmus. Malcolmus. Yeah. He was, he was there for, um, like the first two, uh, the first one, they were supposed to do the second one together. And, um, uh, Berman like fired the two guys versus um, I don't know what happened, but then they came back for the third one. And then Malcolmus is on one of the later ones, just on guitar. Um, but yeah, they started together. They, they were in college together. I just find it because they're both, I pavement's lyrics are great, but it's so, I don't know what you would call it. They're just so different. Both of their lyrics are so, so different, but for them to be, I don't know, work together is like, it's also interesting to me that Berman was sort of the lead guy and Malcolmus was, was not because now mm-hmm. you think of him the other way around. Totally. Uh, but yeah, his like, <clears throat> when I got into them, it kind of turned the way I thought about music around. And I, um, like I'd kind of previously been someone who didn't pay as much attention to words and uh, slowly uh, like flipped where now the words are the most important thing. And, um, but if you read his words just on paper, the uh, it's so, um, succinct and organized like the rhyme schemes the syllables just everything is really um like succinct yeah maybe it was you that i was reading was saying like how it how much he labored over lyrics more than anybody really like he just labored yeah i mean that's like why the the purple mountains album so good it's I think he basically was worked 10 years on those songs. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's something that is, that's a slippery slope though, like overworking things. Um, obviously the, those songs turned out great. Um, but for me, 
I um, sometimes just have to be like, okay, this is done. I'm just going to do it now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you'll drive yourself fucking crazy. Yeah, I know. Maybe I'll probably hate it later, but you learn. <laughs> yeah, hopefully or something. <laughs> do you? Don't some people think that that whole the whole album was his his goodbye, and that that whole thing was planned? Um, to, is that too grim? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess you can only speculate, but it it definitely seems like that now. Um, but it was weird because I was really listening to it um, immediately when it came out, and so uh, it's for some reason at the time it seemed kind of like a hopeful thing because uh, like writing about all these really dark uh, emotions and stuff like you'd assume like okay he understands them really like on a, on a really deep level and but the, the mistake is like that doesn't mean that goes away just cause you understand something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was the same way. It seemed hopeful when I, cause I immediately, as soon as it came out, I was like, I'm on that. Cause I was a huge silver juice fan. Mm-hmm. I regret like early days of the podcast. I had aligned to him and didn't ask him. And I, f- I don't know why, but I fucking regret that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could have said no, but but like I've heard a number of people that I know, like he was one of the guys that he would like email with and like take give notes to on songwriting and stuff, which is mm-hmm. <clears throat> crazy. Like after he died, you heard like a number of people come out of the woodworks being like he would kept in touch with me for years and like encouraged me. And it's like he, that's just I don't know. It's rare that somebody cares that much about other people's work and encourages it. Mm-hmm that's all yeah that's 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 super cool and yeah it's it's a shame i was gonna ask you if you know like from because you this is the this album is the first one that you did like in a proper studio correct like and then you've self-recorded the other your other albums prior did you find more freedom and did that give you more room to spread your wings so to speak in that or um i think it, uh, like the, the thing that really stops me at home recording, uh, I guess there's two factors. The first one that really gets in the way is having to set things up and that takes time. And <laughs> I'm like, got to get the cat out. Yeah. I have like a pretty tiny house and, uh, so like, and then I got to worry about like noise and like, you know, if Carly's in the other room. I don't want to be singing. I don't, I don't want her to be hearing me singing, even though that's, <laughs> it's a, it's just something I get nervous about. But, um, so at the, at the studio, like one didn't have to worry about setting things up. Like Alex Ferrar, who engineered it, he's such a pro, uh, I could really just sit down and, and play and didn't have to worry about the, the engineering side of things. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, just he really captured uh, the sounds in a much clearer way, and uh, so that was that was helpful. And you know, having another guy in there saying like, "Okay, let's move on now and do something else." Like we got the record done really, really quickly. It was it was only like ten days. Fuck, that's fast. Um, and you have another album coming out too, right? Like I don't. Oh, I thought um, I read that that you had. Maybe I read something old and I got confused. It could be that. Yeah. Um, I. Yeah, it was funny because this one, it, it, I did it so long ago. It was, I think, about two, two years ago, maybe more, that we recorded it, and. Um, so just been sitting, it was supposed to come out as a double tape with Ghost of Your Guitar Solo, um, which I'm glad we didn't do that. Um, but yeah, the studio, the studio is good. I, I like the workflow there. Um, and also not being at home, working at home and then sleeping at home <laughs> it, it, it fucks your head though like if you work, yeah. work too, do mix too many things in one boat it, sort of mm-hmm. terrible analogy but you know what i mean yeah yeah you don't want to mix too many things in that in one boat <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my my new book i got a book coming out called don't mix too many things in one boat <laughs> it'll sell yeah. one copy to myself I'll buy one. Uh, do you, because, I, I, I listen to your music and I do, I hear like a great songwriter, like in the true essence of like what people say about like, Oh, he's a great songwriter. Like, I feel like that's your, you're going to be around a while you're not, and writing great songs. Like I truly feel that. And do you, now that you're in a position, say like, where you, are you have, bigger aspirations you're like okay give me more money so i can have a string section or fucking horn section (laughs) um or a meat section just a whole poultry section in the studio yeah scott (laughs) walker yeah have you seen that where he's hammering a big slab of meat he does that he does that on one of his albums that's awesome uh but to answer your question i haven't thought of it like that um it's good to know if like if someday that's possible that that it's an option that's cool but um yeah i it's just nice to know that eventually i can uh survive off of music that's kind of the main goal for now and uh you know stay uh just keep uh pushing forward doing like keep learning getting better um but yeah it's not to say that i won't call in the strings someday (laughs) (laughs) have you had that impulse in the past and we're like, oh, I can't even think there. I can't even think about that right now. 
No, no, probably not. I, I think the, something that I, I learned, uh, pretty early on was, uh, to, uh, to know where the limit is and not to be overly ambitious with, uh, sounds and stuff. Keep it simple. Um, and then you can kind of, uh, you know, improvise within your parameters. Like if I'm recording at home, I, um, I know that I'm not gonna have a string section, but like I could, um, maybe play like borrow a, a keyboard from Colin, my neighbor and friend and, uh, and play a, a shitty string sound and, you know, make that work and, uh, not, yeah. these kind of things. We could just do the who thing and just go cello, 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 <laughs> <laughs> which I fucking, I, it, I don't know why it took me years to figure that out. And I was like, Oh, they're just, but they couldn't get a cello. So they just were like, cello, cello. You know that story, right? Whoa, no. It's I one don't. of the songs. I can't think of the song offhand. It's in Rushmore, the movie. I think it's in the movie Rushmore, but that's Pete Townsend just goes, cello, 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 cello. <laughs> wow. I'll find, I'll try to find out what song it is and I'll email you it. Yeah. I got to hear that. It's I, that's everyone should do that. Mm-hmm. All you need is love. Yeah. It should have just been like horns, them going now horns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but this, this is a good, the, Another point, I guess, on this is like maybe even having the money to hire a string section or a symphony or Pete Townsend to say cello. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably more expensive. Probably to get Pete in the studio, but uh, like knowing that just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Like. Uh, yeah, like people, people tend to overproduce their albums. I think once they uh, once they've made albums and uh, realize that they can now do things. Uh, if I'll see if I can find that who song and I'll send it to you and thank you and I'll let you know when this comes out and all that stuff. All right, great. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Bye. Good talking.